0: Good morning, my name is Bryant, and it is a delight to to be here with you this morning uh, actually from the uh, from the officers of Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in downtown San Antonio they give you a warm welcome and uh, um, thanks for your ministry here in Southwest Austin. I, uh, in my retirement, early retirement, I was uh, kind of called out of that and served as an interim pastor at uh, Redeemer downtown until they found a new senior pastor. He's now been installed and uh, they've asked me to stay for a while working part-time doing some congregational care. And part of my duties uh, is to serve my church, which is the South Texas Presbytery. So the deacons and the elders let me uh, be gone from time to time to do what I'm doing today, and that is to bring uh, pulpit supply to some of our churches and our denominations, so it's, a, it's a, a great delight for me to be with you this morning. Let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10, I believe that's on 976 if you're using a copy of the scriptures uh, in the back of the seat in front of you. Uh, chapter uh, Two of Ephesians is something that we know very well. I think we spend a lot of our time many times on verses eight, nine and ten with that beautiful doctrine of grace that we cling to, um, but there's much more to it than just eight, nine, and ten. Uh, Paul gives us a, a, a wonderful picture, a, a picture of a before and an after, kind of like those commercials that you see from time to time. of, He looked like this before and then after he. Looked like that, and there is one little word, the sweetest little three letter word in the English alphabet, that is the hinge that moves from one side to the other, uh, and that that word is not Tim. Uh, And that word is not John, if he doesn't have an H in his name, I don't know John, but today you don't, so, because it doesn't fit my illustration. But what is is that one little word? That's what I want us to see today. So out of love and affection for God's holy and infallible, inerrant word, let's give our attention to the reading and then the preaching of it. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith... And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak to us through your word and by the work and power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to behold beautiful things from this portion of your holy law today. Please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I, over the course of our 41 years of marriage, have bought and rehabbed several old houses. Uh, one particular house that we did uh, was in downtown, just outside of downtown St. Louis. It was right out of seminary and my first church there in St. Louis. We bought a 100-year-old a, 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 a house built in some 1911 or something like that. And when I say this place was a dive, whatever you're thinking in your mind, times 10 that, because this place was a huge dive. It was beautiful, this three-story Victorian with a wrap-around porch that went around the house absolutely beautiful but a family had moved into that house in the 30s and stayed there until 1956 when two of the the daughters continued to stay in the house they took over they put a new boiler in did a, some some minor work and then they did nothing for the rest of uh, the rest of the time they were there <clears throat> vegetation grew up all over the front such that you had to kind of duck down to even get up these beautiful set of steps that went up to the front door. And on the one corner of this wraparound porch... The wood had completely rotted out. It had fallen down in. You'd step off and you'd fall three or four feet down in, into the hole. It was that that bad. And it was lap and gap wood. It just simply means that one side kind of protrudes out and the other has uh, an inlet and it fits inside. So when you start lap and gap wood, you've got, to, you've got to move it all the way to the other side. You can't just stop right in the middle. So we hired some guy to come and he fixed all of that for us. We primed it. We painted it. It looked beautiful. But as you walked right up the front step into the front door, right there, a little two-foot section, one piece of wood was rotted out. And I didn't want to have to rip that up and then go all the way over to the other end just because of this one little piece of, of rotten wood. So I was talking to a neighbor across the street one day. We all had similar friends, plumbers and electricians and carpenters and all of those types of people. And I was telling him about this rotten piece of wood and he said, oh, oh, Bryant, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. You don't have to rip that out and go all the way. Just go down to AutoZone and get yourself some Bondo and, and take this can of bondo that's the kind of the mix on the bottom and then on the top is this special agent and you get it all nice and smooth and dry because when you mix this special agent with the other part of the bondo it begins to harden immediately so you want to get it down there as fast as you can and then over time you can sand that down you can paint it bada bing bada boom you're in and you're out you don't have to, to worry about that and I thought ah I'm glad I, I'm so glad I had that idea so I made my way down to the AutoZone and I picked up this double can of Bondo. I had never used Bondo before. I've never used it since. But I'm reading and and you're about to find out why. I'm reading the instructions and it tells me exactly what Mark, my neighbor, said. Just smooth it down, get it nice and dry and when you mix the two you better be ready because it's going to begin to harden pretty quickly. So in my 30 something years of wisdom back then, I thought to myself, well, if it, if, if it hardens immediately when I add the special agent, I'll just omit the special agent and I'll just use the bottom part. And so I, I opened it up and it was nice and gummy and I laid it down and I smoothed it out. And it was nice and pretty. And I thought, I'm in no hurry. I'll come back tomorrow. I'll fix it tomorrow. I came back the next day stuck my finger in it, just made a big divot. So I had to smooth it back out. And I said, I'm really in no hurry. I'm going to wait three days this time. And then I came back three days later. It was still just as gummy. And I came to the conclusion that if you omit omit this special agent of Bondo, then you don't have any Bondo at all. Paul is telling us something very similar to this, friends, in this particular passage that's before us. Because what he's talking about for us is our union with Christ. Christ in us and us in Christ. The special agent that God adds is Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit into us. But many times we omit this special agent and we are nothing but worthless, uh, flimsy, type material in our life that we live. We are actually in union with the world, soft and useless, good for absolutely nothing except for our own pleasures that Paul tells us in the passage. But when the Spirit applies that agent, Christ Himself, and we are in union with Him, then we are created to live and be who and what we are, strong and firm And living in this gospel union with Christ from this day forward. This is exactly what Paul tells us right here. He gives us this beautiful picture of our union with Christ. But I want you to see something. Look at the breakdown. What Paul does is he gives us a picture of who we were back then. The before picture in verse 1, 2, and 3. And he gives us a picture of we were dead in our sins. We were in bondage to our sin And we were condemned. That's verses 1, 2, and 3. Then he gives us verse 4, which becomes that hinge verse with that beautiful word, but. But God, being rich in mercy. Then he repeats the same thing in verses 6, 7, and 8. We were dead, but now we are alive. Verse 6. We were in bondage. Verse 2. But now we are free. Verse 7. We were condemned Verse 3, but now verse 7, we live in the kindnesses of God. It is that hinge verse, dear friends, verse 4, right in the center that gives us this beautiful picture of what we once were and what we have now become because of our union with Christ. Let's look at them then. There's the first one. In verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Now... Why would, why, would he start, why would Paul start with our death? If he's, if he's going to come to our bondage and our condemnation, why would he start with death? It seems like it doesn't matter what follows. If you're dead, you're dead, right? But you got up this morning. I got up this morning. Ivan drove all the way from the hill country. So I was actually alive in my truck, driving all the way down here. Paul wants to be certain that we understand how dead is dead. That's why he starts here. With our death, we were dead in our sins and in our transgressions. We've been fighting this argument of understanding what dead means for centuries. Especially in the 3rd and 4th century, a guy named Pelagius and a guy named Augustine. Pelagius said that man is basically born well. That there's no way that one individual could atone for the sins of another individual, die for the sins of another individual. And man was basically well, and God would give no kind of requirement to his creatures unless he gave them the power to do that. And so we could remain well, continue to live well. And what we make out of life is what makes it bad. Well... Turn on the TV, you can clearly see that all of us aren't well, right? Uh, And so over time, some individuals became known as semi-Pelagian, and that meant that we weren't well, we're not really well, but we're just sick. We're kind of sick. So if, if we just take the right medicine, if we do a little more Bible study, a little more reading, a little more worship, a little more prayer, if we just do the right things, then we'll be well. We won't be sick anymore. And then along came Augustine. Who followed the words of the Apostle Paul right here in Ephesians chapter 2. We are not well and we are not sick apart from Christ. We are dead in our sins and in our transgressions. But God. Verse 4. Oh, the sweetness of that phrase. But God. Then look at verse 5. Here's the opposite. Here's the, the after. Even when we were dead... Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. How? With Christ. Paul uses the phrase with Christ or in Christ 164 times in his 13 books that he penned in the New Testament. And what he is talking about is our union in Christ with Christ. That Christ is in me and I am in Christ. Christ, It's that union that gives us the but God, the complete opposite picture for us today. Jesus even gives us a picture of this in John chapter 11. You remember the account of his good friend Lazarus who died. And Jesus waited a few days before he went to Bethany where he was going to raise him from the dead. He gives us a picture of what is death? What does death look like? How dead is dead? Jesus makes his way to Bethany. And he's looking at this big stone. I love the old King James Version. That's what I grew up on when I was a little kid. Because Martha is quoted as saying, Jesus says, roll that stone away. You want to know how dead is? I'll show you how dead dead is. Roll the stone away. And Martha says, but Lord, he stinketh. He stinketh. That's how dead, dead is. If we roll that stone away, he's going to stink. That's how dead he is. They roll the stone away and what does Jesus say? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And out he comes. And he says, take off those garments, those grave garments. They take them off. John chapter 12, the very next chapter, there's a great big feast in honor of Lazarus being alive, Jesus and the disciples are invited to the feast. They're all lounging around the table. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at this dinner party? I mean, I would have loved that. Hey, how was your day today? Good, good to see you. Man, glad to see you. Oh, Lazarus, how was your week? <laughs> well, I was dead. But God, now I am alive. You see the beauty of the gospel, friends? The beauty of that three-letter word, but. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God, rich in mercy, made us alive. Verse 2, here's the second of that pre-look, that before, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience the word in in greek is that followed that we translate followed is actually used 3 times there They were following the course of the world. They were following the prince of the power. And they were following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now remember to whom this uh, little letter is written, a general letter to the, the saints in Ephesus. So your homework for this week is to go home and read Acts chapter 19. That gives you the account of what is taking place when Paul and company planted the church in Ephesus I'll summarize a bit of it for you. In the course of history, a great big rock, a meteor, that looked had the shape of what appeared like a woman, fell from heaven, and so the Ephesians took this great big rock and they set it up in a temple that they built called the Temple of Artemis, and they bowed down to this rock because it had come from heaven. This was their their God. Paul plants a church, and all of a sudden the the way starts taking off. People are coming to Christ. They're understanding their union with Christ, that are in Christ, that are with Christ. And so they're not bowing down to this goddess Artemis anymore. Little trinket makers out on the street during the day are selling little bitty goddesses, Artemis, that you could take home and put on your shelves or wherever you wanted to put them. And suddenly they're not selling any little trinkets anymore, and they become very angry. So they go to the Bema to the judge and they say, hey, these guys are disrupting the entire city. And so it gets the city in a stir that ends eventually in a riot. And over 20,000 people fill this auditorium. I've been to this auditorium. It's huge. They fill this auditorium and they shout for two hours, Artemis, Artemis, the goddess of the Ephesians. Now, I tell you that because I want you to see that's how much in bondage they were. That's how much in bondage we are, friends, when we cling to our sin, when we love our sin more than our Savior, when all we want to do is satisfy our own desires by clinging to that sin. You see, friends, our problem in this life is not... That we were at the mercy of the parents that that God gave us. Or the culture in which we live today. Or the gene pool which was given to us by our parents. Our problem today is sin. We love the darkness more than the light. And many times we cling to that. We are following, following, following. But look at verse 6. But God, verse 4 now... He now raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. How? Where? In Christ Jesus. He says it even again. But where is Christ Jesus today? He raised us up and seated us with him. Back in chapter 1, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says... He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him now at the right hand in heavenly places. It's what the author of Hebrews says that Jesus today is living to intercede for us at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And here's the point I want you to to take away. If Christ is in me and I am in Christ... If Christ is in you, and and you are in Christ, then in a very real part, friends, listen, you are now where Christ is. And where is Christ? He's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So because of our union with Christ, in part, I too am seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in my Creator, my Redeemer, my Head, in Jesus Christ. And everything is under his feet. That's what Paul says at the end of chapter 1. He put all things under his feet. He gave him head over all things. He is triumphant over all things. Which means, friends, that we too are triumphant. It doesn't mean that we don't have suffering. That we don't have pain. That we don't have temptations or problems. But we will triumph over this life to the life that is to come. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive by joining us in union with him. What a gospel. I could stop there, but I'm not going to because I still have a little bit of time left. So let's look at verse 3. Verse 3, now we go back to the before picture, among whom we once all lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath, we hear that and we certainly don't want to be one of those, right? And so we say to ourselves, I'm, I, I, I don't want the wrath of God, but you know what? I'm not going to get the wrath of God because at least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? We love to compare ourselves with others. We love to elevate ourselves. And friends, if we do that, listen, if you do that, you are, you are clinging to a works, works righteousness. If you're saying that you are better than another individual, then you're better because of something you have done. And that is nothing more than works righteousness. And the Bible knows nothing of that. Paul's about to tell us that. We're saved by grace, not by works. But we love to compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to give ourselves a little more slack, to give ourselves a little bit of justification. I, I know, I know, I'm not well, and I, 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 I know I'm not perfect. But, but at least I'm not as bad as I could be. And that's true. John Gershner, a, a theologian to R.C. Sproul, would always would always say, uh, "There's always room for deprovement. <laughs> You can get worse. You may not have killed anybody, but somehow that that seems to be the litmus tech test for us, doesn't it? Are you going to go to heaven? Well, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. That seems to be the litmus test by comparing ourselves. But look what look what the Apostle Paul is saying his, here, verse three: Among whom we all once lived, where in the passions in the passions of our flesh you see friends it's not that it's just a little bit of evil in us but it is us in the evil that is our passion our passion is for the things that we desire we're like the poker player who pushes it all into the center of the table and says I am all in and that is exactly the picture with the Paul the before picture that Paul is giving verse 4 but but God being rich in mercy now verse 7 in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus now because of our union with Christ dear friends instead of the passions for the world we're resting we're resting in the kindness of God the love and affection that God has for us friends listen listen please Jesus Christ did not come to die on the cross for your sins to appease an angry heavenly father sitting up in heaven and make him love us no but we live that way often don't we Paul has already told us in the beginning of this book, chapter 1, in love. He predestined us before the foundation of the world. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or the high priestly prayer in John 11 where Jesus says, Father, I am in you, you are in me. The love that you have for me is the love I have for you. And now I am in them. And the love you have for me is now in them and their love for me. It's that union with Christ now where he lavishes his kindness on us. He lavishes his love upon us. So we come to the conclusion then today, friends, that this is where we're standing. This is where we're resting. Listen to what uh, A.W. Tozer said. He said, we please him most. We please God most not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into his arms with all our imperfections and believing and understanding that he understands everything. And yet, he loves us still. But God, rich in mercy, lavishes his kindnesses upon us. Okay, friends, then now what do we do? Here's the new life, verse 8, 9, and 10. The ones that we love so much. Here's the new life. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's not of your work. It's not of the result of your work. So it's not about me. It's not about what I do to earn favor, to make God love me. It's not about that at all. But now the after picture is we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created how? In Christ Jesus. To do good works. Because God has prepared beforehand that that's what we should do. So our works do not satisfy an angry God and make him love us and give us salvation. He gives us the gift of salvation. But God, rich in mercy, made us alive when we were in bondage. He set us free and we were condemned. He lavished his kindnesses upon us. And now being his workmanship, now created in Christ Jesus, now I am Evidence. Living the life that God gives me today is the evidence to the watching world that this gospel works. Not by something I have done to achieve it, but now as the result of that kindness, now I live it, and it is evidence, proof, until the day he comes again and the full art gallery is opened into glory. Today we are living out the gospel of grace as evidence But God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive. Henry Morehouse uh, lived in the 1800s, early 1900s. He was... uh in the downtown parts of the worst slums in London as a social worker and a pastor. One particular night, he observed a little girl coming up out of the basement onto the cobblestone road. And she was carrying a large pitcher of milk and she tripped over a brick that was a little higher than the other brick and she fell down and and shattered the pitcher. The milk rolled down into the gutter, down to the sewer. And she began to cry she began to cry over the spilled milk and so Morehouse went over to her and trying to console her was saying, it's okay little girl, it's okay. And she kept repeating, my mommy is going to be mad, my mommy is going to be mad over and over. She continued to say that. And he said, "Well, look, it, it, it's not that bad. The pieces are really big. We can put these pieces back together again." So he begins to put the pieces of the of the picture back together again, and suddenly the little girl stopped crying, thinking that there was hope. This this man may be able to do exactly what he was saying. And he got to one little piece, and he began to push and pushed a little too hard, and the whole thing fell apart again. She started crying, again. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't cry. Let, let's do it together. Let's do it together. You hand me the pieces. And so she began to hand him pieces. And he put it all back together, saved the handle. And he handed the handle to the little girl. Here, you put it on. And she pushed it into the side and pow, broke it all open again. She burst into tears. Morehouse just scooped her up. He walked down the street to a place where he knew they sold pitchers and he bought the fanciest pitcher that they had. And he carried her back up the street and down those steps into the basement and he filled that brand new pitcher up with milk. He carried her upstairs asking where she lived, carried her all the way home, set her down on her front porch, opened the door and said, Now little girl, your mommy's not going to be mad at you, is she? And he was rewarded with this. She turned around, looked him in the face and said, Oh no, sir, because this picture is so much better than the picture we once had. Friends, let's stop trying to put the picture back together again. Let's stop trying to ever so gently put our own picture back together again. Because God offers us in the gospel, but God gives us a greater picture than we could ever ask or imagine. By faith now, let's grab hold of that and let's live as the evidence but God now dwells in us and we in Him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel of grace, the gospel that you give to us by your kindness, We praise you, Father, that you have visited us by your Spirit and worked that gospel in us such that we are now new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. We were dead, but now we are alive. We were in bondage, but now set free, condemned, but because of your kindness. We now have been given this gift. So empower us then by that same Spirit to live that out in the world around us until that day you come again in the fullness of your glory. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Amen.